Hello, I'm Marcus Morquet, and you're listening to the Churchill Fellowship Interviews, a series of recordings from my 2018 adventure traveling across the USA researching makerspaces and digital technology in schools. Uh, the Children's Museum of Pittsburgh opened in 1983 okay. um, in a building that was the original post office building for the north side of Pittsburgh. It was scheduled to be demolished. Um, and uh, a historical society preserved it and kept it from being demolished. And inside there, the historical society was housed and the original portion of the Children's Museum began there. Um, in 2004, we expanded the museum. We added a building and we expanded in through what was originally the Beale Planetarium. It was a planetarium um, and we added a building in between that we call the Lantern Building, which houses our make shop, our water play, and our nursery. So we went through a huge expansion plan back then. Uh, we now see about 400,000 visitors oh, goodness. each year, and we're in the process of huge expansion. We're moving into the library next door. In the library, we're going to have one floor that will house a Northside Middle School and another floor that will have our make shop with expanded uh, programming for older children and more technology. We're also planning to expand our camp programs, our professional development programs, and also events such as weddings and special events. Wow. Um, we have partners that are housed in our building as well, such as the radio station, the Saturday Light Brigade, um, Reading is Fundamental, Allies for Children, and some other groups. So we do expect with our expansion, within five years, we will be the largest cultural center for children in the United States. Matt Carroll, I love that vision. And yeah, that's, that's fantastic. It's very exciting so for us. You're connected with a lot of schools, aren't you? So, and just the general community, but how does the school thing operate? Well, um, we have various avenues of the museum that are involved with schools, mm. one of which um, is we have a Making Spaces program where we're developing maker spaces in schools. For instance, Google just gave us a million dollars to open 10 maker spaces in underserved schools. So we have someone on staff who's currently managing that project. Um, we are also given a lot of grant money to do making programs in schools. So there's a company, for instance, named Chevron who uh, gives us about $250,000 a year to go into Appalachian schools and do pretty specific maker activities. Um, Open-ended programming, usually STEM-related. Um, often we do electronics-type programming for them. So we also partner with schools. Um, we have one school where we have an a teacher who spends half of her time here and half of her time at the school. So she's bringing the homemaker movement to her school and her school finds it valuable enough, uh, uh, the museum valuable enough resource that they want her here half the time. So when she's here, we have her doing professional development for teachers. So we bring other school districts and other teachers in on a regular basis to teach them how, our philosophy of making and uh, why we think it's important and how we think facilitation for makerspaces should go. Because a makerspace should not be just a space with equipment. It should be equipped with people who know how to 
use the materials, the best way to facilitate programs with different types of learners. Um, so we're big into to teaching that. It's not unusual that we have somebody in a school, we have people in schools every day. Why a make shop? Because children's museums, they're all over the world, but they don't necessarily have a make shop. Why, why a make shop? Why is that important to your sort of like how you see yourselves? Gosh, it's really important to us in our overall vision of what we think makes a terrific museum. Yeah. Um, we believe that learning should be an open-ended process. Yeah. It's often more about the process than it is the finished product. Mm. We believe in using real materials, real supplies, the real terminology of makers and artists and engineers. So you don't, in some museums you'll see artificial hammers for kids or you know, imitation food. Everything we have is real. Mm. And we believe in open-ended teaching. For instance, with our workshops, when we teach them, no two ch children leave with the same project. They're, we, we don't say, this is what we're doing. We're building this, and everyone's going to make this. Everybody leaves with something different. It's much more, it's a creative philosophy. It's an open-ended one. And um, we're teaching kids a lot of new skills in the process. Make Shop, you know, our whole philosophy is playing with real stuff. Um, so we try as much as possible to get real tools, um, put them in kids' hands. Um, so we do sewing, uh, we do woodworking, soldering, uh, a lot of uh, cardboard design, um, a lot of um, fabric work. So we have a, a four-harness floor loom that we do a lot of weaving with. Um, and just really showing kids uh, real processes, processes that are uh, historic in nature, that really have deep cultural roots. And what sort of age group are we talking about here? Primarily, we cap out around, I want to say, 9 or 10. Um, we do occasionally have teens more uh, in the summertime when school's out. We have a slightly older audience, um, but our kind of target is in that, like, you know, um, 2 to 8 or 9 range. Um, and we're hoping to kind of expand and move towards an older audience, but right now aiming in that, you know, 2 to 9 range. Yeah, so we've been um, working in some similar veins, working with educators since about 2012. Um, the first early proto version of, of the Maker Educator Boot Camp really was just talking about the process of creating Make Shop. Um, but just like Make Shop itself and just like all making, it's been a really iterative process. So throughout the years, as we've done more and more professional developments, both um, these four-day boot camps as well as individual one-off or one-day offerings, it's really important to us that every time we talk about what went well and how it highlighted or didn't the things that we wanted to get out of it. So the teaching artists who run the workshops, um, myself, our coordinator, we all get together and try to reflect on what happened. Um, we also, for this particular one, you know, took my binder of five years' worth of notes from the previous ones. Yeah. And uh, this year, the team, everybody had participated or taught last year as well, um, which was like off to a really great start. Uh, so we were able to spend an afternoon just sitting down in one of our coworkers' living rooms and just talking through, what is the goal of each workshop? What do we want to get out? Um, but really thinking first and foremost about this being an experience to be a learner um, and to really get hands-on and get that deep understanding through doing. And then 
unpacking and thinking about the meta level and, and why it worked the way it worked or how it worked the way it worked. Thank you for listening to the Churchill Fellowship Interviews. You can find the complete series at radiocarum.org.